welcome, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the How for Her Human Expansion Realized podcast. These podcasts are the creative artistry inspired by our weekly Gather for Her conversations that take place in real time. They are the culmination of co-created and harvested wisdom that is palpable during these gatherings around our virtual fire. Our hope is that in a practice of deep listening with us here, you will feel our hands at your back in the journey of realizing your own personal expansion, leaving each listening experience with a spark that ignites your how. Today, we're catching up with Catherine Pollock, a powerhouse fire dancer who's no stranger to walking bravely, and now is running bravely for federal office. We'll be chatting about the call she got to run, what service in this way means to her, and how we can keep up with this true powerhouse. I am stepping forward and walking more bravely, I think, um, than I ever have before in my life. You know, and and I I think when I look back on my life, you mentioned uh, it is a collection of experiences. And and I, I truly believe that, you know, I've learned from every experience that I've uh, had the privilege to partake in. And for myself, um, I, I guess I would say, I heard my, myself, my voice um, saying over the past number of years, as I've been watching our government, particularly our federal government, I've heard myself saying, I want to be in the room where those decisions are being made. I want my voice to be part of that. And, you know, it was there um, and just kind of uh, lingering, I guess. And in the spring of uh, this year, um, I received a call from a search committee about a, a political opportunity with the federal government. Uh, so with a federal party to they're, you know, looking for someone to fill uh, a seat. And I thought, okay, where was, there was that voice in my head saying, I want to be at the table where those decisions are being made. And then I get this call saying, would you be interested? And you know, again, going back to my um, comment about life being a collection of experiences, when I look back on my past, you know, as I, I thought about this potential opportunity, it really occurred to me that this seeking out this opportunity, whatever it turns into, whatever happens as I pull that thread and I just search it out a little bit more, is this is leveraging all of these collective experiences I've had in my life combined with my unique gifts and talents. And so, you know, I feel like I'm at this point, you know, stepping bravely where I'm, I'm stepping forward. I don't know where my foot's going to land. There's no, you know, there's no guarantees in anything in life period, but particularly in the political realm, so much is out of your control. Um, but here I am, and I, I feel like the time is right. Um, when I think about what is the legacy I want left for my children, and for their children, and their children's children, so much of it comes back to this country, and the the state that we, you know, my generation, 
generation leaves it in or prepares for them what kind of pathway we prepare. And so, you know, that's where I'm at. I, um, you know, I'm a, I've been a leader in the private sector and in the public sector. This to me takes leadership to a whole other place. It's a whole other way of serving, um, you know, and, and in a, you know, I truly believe for myself as I, as I've led leading is all about service, being of service to others, empowering others, lifting other people up. And I feel that the opportunity to serve as an elected official um, really takes that to the next level because it is about service in its, I guess in a lot of ways, its most um, basic element, but also its most macro element. You know, when you think about the federal government and the ability to have large impact and the gravity and importance of that. So maybe I'll stop there. Tina, I'm going to swing over to you. You've, you've known Catherine for, you know, for two or three years now and, um, and you're right at, in the, in the middle of this walking bravely campaign. Um, you know, you're 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 at the birth of this story, and I'm I'm curious what comes up for you um, with, yeah. with this conversation. That's great, um, Catherine. I'm I'm in this place with you. Where I'm like, okay, I want to make sure that we hear everything that's in your heart, and then I also selfishly want to go. I want to make sure that everybody listening gets to hear everything about your process. So I'm like, I'm in I'm in both places. Um, so I would love to dive into your heart um, first. Running for political office is a really, really big step. And um, I wonder if you can share with us, I've heard you say a culmination of your of your private and public and uh, and of your of your I, I would say life's work so far. And uh, I also think there's a stage in our life when we start to step into into mastery. And I wonder what comes up for you around around your life's work and your and this political office piece. What comes up for you around that? Oh, thanks for the the question, Tina. You know, I think when I think through my my life as an adult, well, no, let's go back my life as a child, <laughs> growing up on a farm, you know, simple, simple life. Um, but meaningful life, very connected to the earth and, you know, basic things like the weather and, you know, uh, but then also bigger things like global markets, right? Uh, but also, um, you know, I, I guess I would tie it back to, you know, rural Saskatchewan and, and that sort of typical upbringing uh, in in rural Saskatchewan. And then when I think about where my career has taken me, you know, I started out in the performing arts, which, you know, we want our leaders to be of service. But leaders also have to be comfortable standing on a stage and, you know, comfortable stepping into a room with, you know, dignitaries from around the world. And, and I think that the the confidence I built as a performer and the ability to think on my feet, 
solve problems in the moment, you know, culminates there um, in this. And also, I mean, part of my career there I spent in Montreal, you know, and, and when you think about the importance of being able to speak French and holding uh, federal office, um, there's a, an element there. And, and then, you know, my, my career took a, a pretty big 180, as a lot of people know. And I worked as a, a land agent in uh, oil and gas and mining and utilities. And that's real a land agent and a community engagement specialist. And that work is really about relationship. And, you know, frankly, it's sitting down at the kitchen table or the community hall and having tough conversations about really important issues, but getting down to what's underneath the waterline, getting down to what are those common values that we share, that we can build this relationship on and find a, a healthy path forward to, to something that works for everyone. Um, you know, and, and so I think that's so important for, for politicians to be able to listen and listen to understand and, and find that common ground. You know, um, we're seeing just so much partisanship right now that's coming out with these incredible women making decisions to step back from public office due to, you know, partisanship. And so I think more and more we need leaders who are, are willing to find some common ground and bring people together. Um, you know, and then this this latter part of my career has really moved into the public sector, um, leading in uh, within the Saskatchewan Public Service, which is about you know that macro public policy and really looking at um, you know the interests of the people of the province and what is best for the people of the province and understanding. Um, how governments make decisions, you know, so the opportunity to have worked with ministers and cabinet committees to draft legislation and regulation and move it through the process um, is just so vitally important. And so I like to say I've proven myself in the real world, which is the private sector, right? I, I've done that. I know what it's like to show up day in and day out and have to prove yourself every single day. I also know how things get done in government. Um, and, and also, I think the fact, frankly, that I'm not a career politician is an important fact right now. Our elected representatives are supposed to represent the public. And so I think the more that we bring in some fresh perspective um, to our decision makers, the better. And so I think like that's really trying to weave a bit of a tale there of, of how my career I think has really built in this very unique, maybe seemingly patchwork kind of way to some people, but I think a really, um, you know, it, it's like, a, a quilt that's been woven together, I think, that that creates this um, just unique set of experiences and skill set that I think could serve me very well. Regardless, again, of where this of where this ends up. <laughs> I wanted to expand just briefly on a couple of things that you said um, bef before we move on. And one is, um, I'm just going to reflect them back to you. 
Um, first off, I, I'm not a career politician. And I think I agree with you. I think that 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 brings a certain perspective and a certain fresh approach and actually a certain amount of bravery. Um, and but even more important than that, I, I'd love to talk for a few minutes about digging into what's underneath the waterline and and the common values that you talked about. Um, I think we're all very aware that federal politics is is missing <laughs> some pretty powerful women that are act, exiting stage left. And I think some of the women that are exiting are actually the, the very women that could help to rebuild a system that needs to look beyond party parties to common values. We see it being done in other countries. And yet in Canada, I feel like it's it's actually fairly bleak. I don't have a whole lot of rah, rah, rah for, for that particular piece right now. And, and I am a, an eternal optimist. And so I, I wonder where that takes you walking into um, a system that, that actually needs some changes. And, um, and, and, and as a woman, like knowing that, seeing what's happening in front of you, like where, like that's, that's the ultimate challenge right now. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm curious where that piece takes you. Oh, yeah, I have a few things to share there. That's that's a, a lot to digest, but really super important. So first thing I want to say is I I think it's really um, interesting. I'm seeing a juxtaposition right now where on the one hand, I think this is the first time in history that being a woman running for office is not a disadvantage. In fact, in many cases, it can be a, an advantage. And that, that is, you know, that's never been before. So on the one hand, you know, that, that is reality. And then as you point out, on the other hand, we're seeing women, you know, who've held office who are saying, you know, I'm out for, you know, for these reasons. And the thing that strikes me is I think often when we see big change, you get this kind of front end change and then almost this big, like a, like a pushback, right? Uh, where that pushback comes from, you know, is different places. But so you start to see a change, which is to me, the fact that people are much more accepting now of women holding leadership roles and making decisions for us, you know, at, at that federal level. So that's happening. And then there's this, it, it's, um, you know, this, this push against it. And I don't think it's an intentional thing. It's just, you know, a thing that happens, this push against, uh, and then I think often you see that next sort of pressing forward into real, actual, big change. So I think the, the push back we're seeing now is that, you know, these, these women who are, are, you know, calling out the system to say, it's broken, I don't fit here, I have to leave. Um, and I have to trust, you know, I, and I've thought deep and hard about this, that 
this is not the time for me to step back. So they've been there. They've started the path. They are part of the walking bravely and they've helped cut that path that makes it more palatable for people to see women holding public office. They're now stepping back. This is not the time for folks like me to acquiesce and say, oh, oh you know, it's too broken. So I, I, I too am an optimist and I hold this view that I think there's another big push of change coming that way. I think um, when it comes to, um, you know, the, the common values piece that you mentioned, um, that you draw, drew out from our other, the other part of our conversation, you know, the way I look at that is the iceberg effect, right? What do we see on top? We see positions. That's what you often see, like I'll go back to my old community engagement days. That's what you see at the at the town hall or the open house, you know, is is somebody's position on something um, underneath the position. And so sometimes it's it's a little bit underwater, but not, not always are, are people's interests. What are what are my interests there? So a little bit of your interests is, are showing, but a little is underwater. And then it's the values that are that are really underwater that for the most part you know, we as human beings share many of the same underlying values when we get right down to it. We just use different language often um, and that gets in the way. And so I think it's having the courage to sit down and have meaningful conversations with people who think fundamentally different than differently than we do and taking the time to dig into those conversations and you know, it's not pretty, it's not easy, um, but I think it's the, the only path forward for us. And I think, you know, personally, I think when I think about, you know, if I were to become a member of parliament at some point, that's both within your own caucus, within your own party, right? Even within a party, there's a spectrum of beliefs, right? Um, but it's also across party lines. I mean, I think when you think about the way that people have always gotten big things done, it's it's about getting people on board, you know, who who weren't just on board from the beginning, the first time you said something. It's creating that compelling vision to say, this is where we're going. Let's let's create this together and finding a way to to draw people into that. And you know this, uh, all of you three, um, that diverse perspectives make for better decision making in the end. And so the more we open ourselves up to actually listening to people with different perspectives, the better off we are in the end in terms of the decisions that we make. So to me, that doesn't mean you you acquiesce on your on your values or, or things that you have to stand up for, right? I, I'm, I'm not suggesting that, but I I do believe that it is um, through those fierce uh, dialogue type of conversations, which you and I have spoken about before, that we can really start to move forward collectively. I'm I'm gonna um, I'm gonna swing over to to Sharon for a while, and and um, I think one of the most important things as you're entering into political leadership, you know, we always 
you know, what are you running for? Where there's this, you know, what are your priorities and 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 how do they tie into your values? And I I feel like for the first time in history, our priorities are all really, really surfacing. Like I think I think there's certain things that are so obvious right now we cannot say they're not priorities. Whereas maybe in the past, um leaders have stood up to to give a speech or a talk and 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 some of it's felt a bit a bit canned and um i i know for sharon and i as as indigenous women like we've been definitely talking about it you know and more so since may 29th that um that our our number one priority in in our conversations is is the path of, of reconciliation and um, Sharon, I just I want to give you a chance to just, you know, have the floor and and let's can we dig into that part of of a dialogue? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. So um, just before that, though, I just wanted to say I loved your analogy of the the patches and, and the quilt, the quilting, um, and and then just before that, you had mentioned um, you were. Um, wanted to see what happens when you pull the thread through so that to me that i, I thought that was pretty um uh, succinct <laughs> in my head it's it's right there um and then you know um what i love i know that you're an indigenous advocate um uh, and what i love is that you are thinking of future generations and so you've you've got you know the the seven generation thinking which i believe every um leader needs to have and, and not even just leaders just everybody should have that that um train of thought if if we all thought that way uh, this world would be a bit, much better place we wouldn't be in the position that we're in um and so i'm just curious um though um yes reconciliation is is um on everybody's mind um and um and I'm wondering what kind of issues beyond reconciliation, though, uh, you feel um, are important. Uh, what's on your mind regarding Indigenous, uh, the, in, the issues that Indigenous people face in Saskatchewan? And, and how do you yeah. see that um, you, can, you can help? Mm -hmm. Well, I think it starts with um, building relationships and learning and understanding and um, comprehending, um, you know? And so for myself, so the, the um, uh, electoral district that I'm, I'm uh, seeking the nomination in has uh, within its borders, White Cap Dakota First Nation and Chief Darcy Bear has, is just, um, this incredible example of leadership um, in terms of, of his community. And the, um, you know, it's not just the prosperity, but it's the, the, the governance and the, you know, the control of the land and their ability to, to make decisions for themselves as a nation. And so I think that um, you know, for myself personally, it starts with the relationships and it starts with the modeling, the role modeling as a leader, as a mother, 
as a, you know, as a citizen um, to, to learn and build relationship and engage and, and actually make, you know, make reconciliation just part of everything we do, how we think. But then also it's, then it's the, then it's the action. And so I think, you know, pointing Mm -hmm. out uh, Chief Darcy Bear and Whitecap Dakota, there's other examples in Saskatchewan, File Hills Capel Tribal Council, doing, taking quite a different model, but um, doing such an incredible job of caring for their people um, in, in the way that suits their community. And so I think, you know, as a leader, to me, um, you know, at the at the federal level, it is about um, it is a, about uh, capacity building and sustainability, and um, um, allowing that opportunity for First Nations to care for themselves. And so, figuring out, and every First Nation, I would imagine, would be. Um, different from every other one, but what does that pathway look like and and how can the federal government um, support that pathway forward and and you know hopefully at some point <laughs> frankly get out of the way I, I don't know I mean I would say I don't have all the answers on this, but I sure know how to ask the questions and and it starts with the the understanding I think which it's is built through relationship. I love that, and, and you've obviously done some homework. You know, you know the the First Nations that you're, you're um, in your area, and and I just love um, uh, your comment about the modeling. Tina, I I know that you've thought uh, in the past year so much about this topic in your own work and as a performer, as an artist of impact, and I'm wondering what might be coming up for you right now because it's the same conversation. It's the same conversation. We're just looking at it in in different ways. And uh, yeah, just wondering what it brings up, you know. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Char. Um, I'm actually hooked back into something that was said earlier that ties into this. Um, because you know, in the work that I do, I listen to people and I listen for qualities that, that I, to me are just so, they're like clues. And one of the qualities that you shared, Catherine, that I don't even, I don't know that you know this about you and maybe I'm willing to be wrong about it. But I just want to, if I can reflect what I see. Um, it's when you said sitting down at the kitchen table and having real conversations. And I was like, I wonder if Catherine knows, again, just from my lens, knows that there is so much gold in you in that piece of your um, relationship with people. And so when, when I go to reconciliation, um, I have my own ideas about what that means and all of that. But what I hear when I listen to you is that your ability to sit with people and be in relationship at the kitchen table is the act where reconciliation can happen because it is a safe place of being heard and seen and non-judgment and not even having all the right questions. So 
not even about that. It's this kitchen table thing that you said. And then right in the very beginning about your Saskatchewan roots and, and your, and simple and meaningful. Um, that I just want to reflect that to you and see if any, if, if how that lands and feels to you. And um, yeah, as an offering, I think to you. Oh, thanks, Tina. It, it, um, it lands very squarely, frankly. I mean, and it does, it goes back to my childhood, right? The, the kitchen table. I mean, we've all had that in different ways, but, but really um, my work as a land agent and community engagement specialist of, you know, the honor of being welcomed to sit at someone's kitchen table, frankly, because sometimes you're, you're not offered that gift, right? You're not necessarily even wanted. Um, and when you have the opportunity, whether you're actually breaking bread or not, but you're at the table, you know, breaking bread with, with people in their home um, is just such an honor because as you said, like the, 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 armor comes off a little bit when you're at the kitchen table, right? You're, it, it is a safe space and we feel warm there. You know, we, we get our sustenance there. And, and for, for many of us who are busy with kids, it's the one place where we actually all, you know, come together. So yeah, that resonates very clearly, very, very strongly to me. And I think, you know, I've had a number of kitchen table meetings uh, with folks during, you know, the last uh, couple of months. And frankly, it's where the, the most meaningful conversations have happened, most impactful and, um, and, and a, a reminder of why I'm doing this. Thank you. Um, so now I'm curious. So now we're at, I know you've got a, oh, we're good. You've got another few more minutes. Um, so now that we're at the kitchen table and there's safety for listening and learning and being, I wonder where that takes you next in terms of, of how, how you're thinking about offering action. And I don't even know what that means to you, right? Like how do you take your cues from, from your listening? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's a great point. And I think one of the challenges, of course, for elected officials wherever you sit, if you're at the municipal level, provincial, federal, is, you know, reflecting the views of your constituents, which at times may be in conflict with your own, <laughs> right? Um, which also may be in conflict with the party that you're with. Um, so when I, there, there's just, I share that just to say there's a lot of complexity here. Um, but I really think, you know, the keys to, to that kind of listening for me are really about understanding. So what's important to you about this? And why is that important? Because I think that's when we get, we get that layer below the waterline and we start to really understand what's going on. So for me, those are the types of questions that lead to the gold that I think the other piece is trusting, right? Trusting that when you get the answer, you'll know what the next question is to ask. I really think what's coming through for me today is that visual of the waterline. And 
I think the most important role of any political leader right now is, is taking a step towards uniting our country. Um, and, and so the gifting, the process, no matter who is an elected leader, the process is the work. And how do we take various different people and parties and what we've been talking about as a braid lately is how do we reach beyond our beliefs, beyond what we believe to find the common values at the waterline? And you, you touched on that where you said, so why is that important to you? Or let's, get, let's go underneath that. Because if you ask four of us right now uh, a, a, a question, we'll reflect on it from our perspective, you know, from our, our, our perception and from what we believe. Well, I believe this. And how do we reach, you know, hold that belief? That's our individual, you know, um, uh, that's our sovereignty. That's what we believe. But yet go beyond that to reach deeper to see where the commonality in, in values might, might lie. And um, I wonder where that takes us, because I believe that's the work of political leaders next. Yeah. Oh, I agree so much. And I think what one of the things great leaders can do is hold space for different perspectives and opinions at the same time. So you withhold, like finding that ability to withhold your own judgment, I guess, or decision on where you land. And so being in that space of, it's almost detachment. It doesn't mean you're not passionate about something, but you don't attach to this is the answer or this is the outcome. But being willing to live in that space of, you know, this can be a truth and this can be a truth. And how do we facilitate a discussion that allows both of those truths to exist so that we can start to come together? I think it's so interesting. There's a couple dichotomies that are just staring me in the face right now. The one is the, the House of Commons and the, you know, the importance of the time in the house when the opposition can question the government. Very important. I am not suggesting that's not important. But it's, it's divulged into what seems like theatrics. And there's never really an answer of substance because everybody's afraid that their soundbite's not going to be quite right or whatever. And so, and then the, the real work you know, happens outside of there. And, and I think, you know, it just encourages this almost duality of being <laughs> for politicians that is probably not very healthy. And then I think that the other dichotomy that's standing out for me too is right now going through the nomination process is, you know, in order to win a nomination process, you know, you're, you, you kind of become a, a bit of a salesman, right? You have to, and you're always asking for something. I'm asking you to buy a membership. I'm asking you for a donation. I'm, I'm taking, right? But what we really want from our political leaders is service. We want 
our political leaders to actually, when they're in the role, to function completely opposite of that. And so uh, it's just an observation for myself as a political newbie um, that it it is a, a dichotomy of, you know, what it takes to to win is very different than what it takes to govern well. As always, we are so grateful for your deep listening with us. We want you to know that there is a community here that you may not know about yet. We gather virtually every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific time for these live conversations, and we call it Gather for Her. This is the place where we begin to weave our individuality together to remove silos and place our hands at each other's backs for activated, intentional action towards a world we all want for 2030, where we prepare for a better world. When you're ready, we're here. Find us at powerhouse.com and get social with us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. If it feels right, you can support this inspired wisdom through Patreon at patreon.com powerhouse. Until next time, keep listening and know we're always here, ready to gather with you.